It is episode number 12 of the River City Hardball Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gibson, and today we're going to talk about data analytics and how they relate to baseball and how much they have really grown over the last couple of years. I want to welcome in my friend Mark Spencer. He's on Twitter at The Data Cage. Mark, how you doing? I'm great. How are you doing today? Well, doing well, and uh, first of all, hopefully you and your family are doing okay. This is a very, very uh, precarious time that nobody's ever uh, experienced, isn't it? It's it's unprecedented, right? I think um, I, you can try to you know it's it's a glass half full, glass half empty. Obviously, it's uh, there's people that are affected with it directly um, with with the illness, but also it's affecting uh, a lot more as well. And 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 hopefully our leaders can can find the balance and and not swing the pendulum uh, too far one way or the other and and do more harm than needed. Yeah, everybody's trying to hopefully social distance and stay at home. Uh, now you're working from home. Is that kind of where you're set up right now? Yeah, I am, which is it's it's great. It, uh, I have two uh, teenage high school age sons, and uh, I will be honest, it has been really nice spending a lot of time with them because at this age and they're very social. Um, you know, a lot of evenings and weekend time, they're out with their friends, and uh, we've had a lot of family dinners and. I would say that if I was forward thinking, maybe having a camera set up um, at the dinner table would be quite the miniseries. So uh, it's, it's been entertaining, to say the least, and I'm at least taking uh, solace in the uh, extra family time we're getting. Hey, Mark, uh, analytics in baseball have really taken on a huge jump over the last couple of years. Um, you've got the data cage at your Twitter handle. Tell us about that and tell us about the revolution of now analytics in baseball. Yeah, so the data cage came from an idea. I came over from the uh, data side in golf uh, many years ago. I was I've been using Westcope and and TrackMan technology in the golf business actually since the '90s. Uh, I was doing driver fittings using a small miles per hour radar um, for a company called MasterFit Golf here back in the '90s, and um, and then that evolved into using radar technology with a company called EDH Sport, which people now know as FlightScope. And then TrackMan came on board, and in the golf industry, and then I was the Nike golf sales representative for the Southeast Coast, did a million club fittings using data and technology, did a lot of lessons. I even taught people like um, local kicker Josh Scobie. I was one of his first golf instructors here in town. Um, actor Gene Hackman was actually a uh, – uh, nice. I don't know if people know that he's got a relationship, personal relationship with Jack Del Rio, and so Jack was – the coach here, uh, Gene Hackman, would come, and, and I spent a lot of time with Gene. So in, in teaching golf and using data and technology in golf, I did that for many years. And then um, I was introduced kind of to the baseball world in 2015 when I left golf with Nike, got rid of the golf division, and uh, my son was entering high school. Um, I quickly started to realize as I delved a little bit into the baseball development world that baseball was a good 10 to 15 years Um behind uh, golf and utilizing technology to understand better what really happens, um, particularly with the bat-ball collision and what causes things. And um, so kind of started diving into that and and saw an opening, so uh, opened up a facility called the Data Cage, which was a play on words instead of the batting cage, you know, having a a batting cage but utilizing data, and uh, went from there. Mark, what do players that come to the cage uh, crave? What do they want to see? I mean, there there's so many different metrics that you can follow, whether it be exit velocity, barrels, um, hard hit percentage. What what are you looking at? What are they craving to find out? I think the, 
every player differs. So I think it's the job of us as the analysts or the coaches that utilize data to understand our job is to collect as much data as possible. So use the bat sensor and measure the bat and the player movements. Use a radar to measure the bat and ball data, but then hold it. Make sure you collect all the data. And to collect all the data doesn't mean you're going to present it all at the same time. You've got to know who that player is and how they learn. Are they a visual learner? Are they a feel learner? Um, you know, what is their cognitive learning ability? And to, to know where they are on that spectrum as far as how they learn, then it's up to the instructor, coach, or analyst. I would be more of an analyst, and uh, I'm not as much of a coach as I am an analyst, to explain what happened. But don't just do it because you have the information. Uh, I think it's our job as, as coaches and analysts to uh, make sure we collect as much data as possible, but don't just continually present it because the player might not want it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, I had the opportunity back in late February of this year, fortunately, because they shut down so much of this stuff because of the coronavirus. I had the opportunity to go to spring training down in Port Charlotte, and I got to talk Mm -hmm. to a couple of uh, Tampa Bay Rays players, Tyler Glassnow and Austin Meadows, and I asked both guys about – uh, just tracking data, uh, and they couldn't couldn't have been more polar opposites of of wanting the data. Yep. Uh, Austin Meadows said, "I'm I'm an old school guy. I I really don't really care much about what what's there." Uh, conversely, Tyler Glassnow he wants all of it. He says, "Give it to me. I want all of it." And you know the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know the Pirates traded both of those guys to Tampa, <laughs> and uh, that hasn't worked out for them, obviously. And um, Glassnow actually a couple weeks ago um, had an article where he was basically saying that the Pirates had almost no analytical staff, like they didn't Correct. they didn't have the any of the tracking of this stuff. And now the Rays are a much more forward thinking staff and, and group, and and he's really liking that. Yeah, and let's let's take those two players for example. So the first thing I will though tell you is the um, Pirates. It was obvious that they were behind the ball in analytics when it comes to hitting because there was only one team that had a higher ground ball percentage than them, and that was the Marlins. So the two worst hitting teams in baseball last year had the two highest ground ball percentage um, of all of baseball. But let's let's talk a little bit about those two pitchers. Um, that's a great, and that makes my point for me, right? If, if uh, you said it was Austin that was the guy that didn't like, if, if I'm a coach, if I'm a data analyst, no problem. Awesome. What I need to do with him, okay, is I need to really listen, really, really listen. So when he's talking about um, his release on maybe on his changeup and what he's feeling, it's my job to take what he says and what he feels and, and, and try to correlate it with the data, write notes, make sure I'm tracking when he feels like he's releasing it more maybe out or it feels like his thumb is working under, things like that, then, and then attach that field to a data point, okay? So maybe it's a, um, a spin axis or um, a spin rate number. So that when, when he's maybe struggling or when he throws a pitch that, does it, that he's not happy with or whatever and he has a question, your job is not to go back and say, Hey, well, your spin rate was this because if you're saying that to a guy that's a field guy, it's just it's it's either a going to confuse him, b frustrating, which is what you don't want to do, right? So the important thing there is to be able to then translate the data to that player, and then you know with a guy like Glassnow, let him rock, ask him, hey, what data sets do you want to know? I'll leave out the data points that you don't want to know, and I'll just tell you 
And so I'll always ask a player if I'm analyzing, I'll say, hey, do you want to know anything or not before we get started? I recently measured a, uh, a, a pitcher here in town that is looking for a spot in pro ball. And so I set up the flight scope and had all the numbers there uh, behind the plate as he's throwing. And I asked him, do you want to know any numbers? He goes, no, I'll ask. I said, cool, no problem. I mean, every pitch, every pitch he threw, I could have given him spin rates, um, release point, all the stuff per pitch. But it was up to the play. you got to respect the player, mm-hmm. how they learn. But the key here that's universal, though, I don't care how they learn. The one universal, though, is you have to measure. You cannot manage what you do not measure. So if, if it's a player that is like Austin, okay, that is a field player, says he doesn't want to know data, as, as a coach or an instructor, though, it is still incumbent, and uh, you are definitely responsible. You need to measure because if your job is to help him improve, you need to be measuring so that you can help manage him. Yeah, and he said, I said, Austin, do you ever, when you hit a ball, do you think, oh, wow, I just hit that one 115 miles an hour exit velocity <laughs> off the bat? And he's like, yeah, I mean, that, that stuff's cool, but I, I'm like an old school guy and I don't really think about stuff like that. And then Glass now goes, um, yeah, I love all of it. He said, I want to I know what I'm doing, what I'm doing wrong, and I want to measure that stuff. And he says yeah. that the, the Rays do a great job of making that stuff available. And that's what you're talking about making sure you measure that stuff and making sure it's available to the player if they want it. Yeah, always measure, but that does not mean always present. you got to know your player. I thought it was interesting what you're just saying about the ground ball rate with the Pirates and the, and the Marlins because mm-hmm. so many – you know, so many teams now. You want the ball in the air. You want well, not not necessarily that, but you want line drives. I mean, the line drive rate is where yeah. you want to be. And the Marlins and the the Pirates are at the very bottom, at least last year. Yes, and so you know, it's um, that's the thing. You're hitting the ball in the air. You know, that's such a vague term that people that are not data savvy will say, "Oh, you what? You want pop ups? No, okay. So you got to be real specific, right? So the great thing about this is. There's an actual definition that has been universally accepted. Okay, so um, for those of listening that that um, don't realize this, that there is an actual definition to launch angle number, the actual number and the definition of it. So basically, if you take the batted balls from from the time the ball makes contact with the bat, and if it goes flat to parallel to the ground, that would be zero degrees, correct? So that's a zero degree launch angle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if it goes down to the ground, you know, you're going to have like a negative 13 or 14 degrees. So launch angle is the, is the ball angle off the bat. So being parallel to the ground is zero. So a, a grounder is defined in baseball as anything of nine degrees or lower. Because what they found, unless you're hitting it 120 miles an hour, a nine-degree launch angle is going to land in front of the outfielder, or I'm sorry, in front of the infielders. Okay, so any ball landing in front of the shortstop should be considered a grounder. He's got a chance to get it. Okay, so starting at 10 degrees is where the definition of a line drive is. So 10 degrees to 24 degrees is considered a line drive. 25 to 40 degrees is considered a fly ball. And then anything over 40 degrees is considered a pop-up. So what we have found now What's important to know also is the relationship of the exit velocity to those angles, right? Uh, if I hit it really, really soft, I actually need a much higher launch angle to get it over the infield. And, and the reason this is really important is, is that exactly. We're trying to get the ball over the infielders. 
there's a small area of the infield with six defenders. Then there's a huge area in the outfield with only three defenders. We want to hit the ball out there because so it has a higher percentage of when it lands to not be caught. Simple as that. So we're trying to get the ball over the infielders. So depending on how hard you hit it, then you've got to have it. There's a matrix of basically how hard you hit it versus the angle it leaves the bat. So um, hitting line drives, as you say, is important. Um, the tough thing for some people to grasp is you take a guy like, I remember when Javi Baez came into our cage a couple of years ago, and he was just warming up. He was hitting it off the tee, just kind of warming it up, and he hit one 101 miles an hour, um, just kind of grooved it, and it was at 9 degrees. And I looked up on the monitor on my, on, on my flight scope, and it went you know 237 feet, something like that. Mm. that's definitely landing in the outfield. And unless it's right at an outfielder, that ball is running to the fence. That's a double or triple. That's the hit we want, right? Yeah. That's the ball we want. We want a ball that goes over the infield, lands in the outfield, runs to the fence, and, um, and then you get extra bases. Tell me about that experience with Javi Baez. I mean, we're talking about a guy that the exit velo on him is, is pretty high. <laughs> so intent, right? I mean, um, intent is king. And when we say intent, uh, the, the first thing to teach with players I've always found is max intent. Get guys to swing as, as, and girls, right? This, this applies to softball. Get players um, to swing as hard as possible and then find that ability to, to have control while you're swinging hard. But, you know, he's a guy with max intent, having him come in. I didn't spend any time working with him. Basically, it was raining outside. He and his brother, you know, he's, he went to school here in Arlington Country Day. Javi Baez did. His brother still lives here in town, um, and so uh, they needed a place to hit, and they just called us up, and and I said, yeah, no one will bother you. So he just came in. I just had the machine on. I didn't work with him. I just kind of sat and observed, which was obviously a, a big treat, and um, it was neat to see some of that. And also just the, the, the sound of that wood bat hitting the ball that hard is, is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I love love that sound. Uh, hey, I want to give you an example, and you tell me if this is going to be a good hit or not. Uh, all right, so yep. exit velocity is 94, and launch angle is 10. Is that a good hit? Uh, 94 and 10 uh, depends on the spin rate, but that should be – that's going to be close. I'd like to rather see it kind of in the 12 to 15 range, mm-hmm. but, but 10 is going um, to be pretty good. You know, yeah, that's going to be pretty good. That was, I just looked this number up, that was the average exit velocity and the average launch angle for Christian Yelich last year. Yeah, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Now, if you look at his average if you look at his average launch angle in the last four years, look how much it's gone up. Right, yeah, he's, he's made, there's no question, ever since he got traded to Milwaukee, he's made it a concerted effort to, to up that launch angle, hasn't he? Yeah, and honestly, I think when you listen to Yelly talk, and I'm a big Christian Yellis fan, right? I, I think if you look at his average launch angle, I think it was three, four years ago, it's like four degrees, right? I don't think that was because he was trying to hit the ball down. I think he's he's such a he's been a talented hitter since he played here in Jacksonville, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 with him and the way he talks about it, he talks about really just being on time more. So let's talk about that. What does on time mean for players? Well, time on time means meeting the ball more out in front of the plate instead of late. I'm a big Marlins fan. Uh, there's like four of us in the state, right? So you <laughs> right. found one. Yeah. Um, but as a player, you know, his big thing, he would really let that ball travel really deep and hit a, even though he's a left-handed hitter, 
he would hit a lot of balls down the third base line as a Marlins um, player. And, and so anytime you're hitting the ball that late in the pitch, uh, the bat is still traveling down, okay? Because obviously you start the swing with the bat above your head. Well, eventually it's got to come below your head because you're meeting the ball. So until you reach that bottom point in your swing, the bat is traveling down. And then as the bat exits home plate and starts working its way around, it's traveling up. So if you're letting the ball travel more towards onto the plate, you're going to hit the ball lower or you're going to create more backspin and hit it more backside. And if the ball, if you're meeting the ball more out in front, your bat naturally, you're not trying to swing up. It naturally, because of the physics of your spine angle and your tilt, the bat is going to be traveling, quote unquote, up relative to the ground because of those angles. So, so I think with him, he's been a great uh, uh, example of once you're on time more and better on time, the bat will be traveling up a little bit more and hitting it higher. So, so I, I would say his swing really looks as I think a guy that, that made a concerted effort to hit it higher and really worked on it, hard on it would be a guy like Daniel Murphy. I mean, he's the, he's the poster child for looking at his numbers and realizing I'm not being productive as a player. I'm only batting this. My, my war is this. My uh, extra bases is this. What are the players that, that are doing having better numbers than me? And he started looking at what their launch angles were. He's like, wow, I'm nowhere close to that. I need to figure out a way to hit the ball higher, and that's what he did. So um, two different things there, but yeah, Yelich is a great point, right? He went from four-degree average launch angle, I think, to last year at 10, and boy, when he's on time, it's, that ball is gone. Yeah, and he's he's also made a, a pretty significant park change as well, going from Marlins Park, which is, I mean, just a cavernous place, and then going to Milwaukee. I mean, that's a pretty big park change, too. Yeah, it's just fun to watch him do well. As a, as a Marlins fan, <laughs> We should, I, I end up rooting for guys in all kinds of different uniforms later in their career, and um, it happens a lot, and I'm doing that with Yelly. I'm really, really rooting for him. I, I pull for him every time he's at bat. You've been listening to part one of our series on data analytics with Mark Spencer from the Data Cage. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for part two coming up later this week.